Are you a senior level executive with a growth mindset, ready to grasp the new opportunities and solve the issues that are holding you back? If so, welcome to our podcast, Into the C-Suite with Jim Casino, founder and CEO of C-Suite Advisors. With personal experience as a CEO of more than 10 companies and 15 boards of directors, Jim shares his insights into optimal leadership philosophies, practices, and ways to accelerate growth and elevate your company value. Now, onto the show. We are ready for a look into the C-suite with your host, Jim Casino. Jim is the founder and CEO of C-Suite Advisors, a management consultancy that taps the expertise of highly experienced senior consultants who know the C-suite inside and out because they've lived there. Their best-in-class advice helps early-stage and middle-market companies capture their biggest opportunities, solve their toughest challenges, and thrive. Today's episode is the latest iteration in the series, Conversations from the 19th Hole. The series is all about golf and the exceptional ROI when leveraged for business success. So, Jim, tell us about our guest today and the very hot topic they'll be discussing. I am delighted to do that, Patrice. Thank you so much for that uh, introduction. I appreciate it. First off, I want to say that I think today is not only going to be highly informative, but it's also going to be really fun because we're dealing with a super hot topic in golf, and that is the golf rollback decree that has recently come out from the USGA and RNA. And to talk about that, we have two super high-powered people uh, to give us some perspectives of their own and their companies related to this. I call it a decree because it kind of stands that way in my mind at this point uh, that has come out about taking the golf ball back to an earlier era before all the technology that allowed it to travel so far off the tee. First to go today, super excited to introduce to you Keith Blakely. Keith, maybe you could wave. Everybody will know who it is then. Keith is the, the CEO and founder of Encore Golf and Encore Innovations. Encore Golf is a golf ball manufacturer, which sells its highly regarded products directly to consumers. So you're not going to find it in a normal retail outlet that sells golf goods. The ball, the ball that they produce is the game's first perimeter-weighted metal core golf balls that have the truest role uh, in the industry, uh, according to all the stats I've been reading on them. They're independently rated among the very, very best golf balls in the industry at really superior pricing. Uh, I I gave you sort of a little advertorial there, Keith. I'm sure you want to maybe add to that a little bit or correct any errors I said. Uh, As an engineer by training an extraordinary industry uh, disruptor by reputation, Keith has a unique perspective to offer all of us on the ball From a manufacturer's standpoint, what does this decree about going back in the ages, sort of a retro act, what is that going to mean to the manufacturers and to us as the ultimate consumers of those products that they sell? I really, I can't wait to hear your views on this effort, Keith. I I know they're going to be quite fascinating because of your unique perspective. Our second guest is co-host of the series, Conversations from the 19th Hole, and you can see him uh, on the screen in front of a beautiful golf course that he uh, is in charge of, uh, the very uh, exclusive and prestigious Seven Canyons Golf Course. Uh, Dave Bisbee uh, is a renowned golf instructor. He's an in-demand speaker. He's a best-selling author of the book Back on Course, which addresses the power of business building through golf. 
and uh, the the high ROI, which we talked last time in an earlier episode of uh, these conversations, uh, that have somewhere between a seven to ten x ROI based on the studies that have come through. In addition, Dave is, as I mentioned, he's the general manager and director of golf at Seven Canyons, again, in that picture behind him, uh, as well as being a senior advisor and spokesperson for Pure One Golf and an ambassador for Encore Golf. So he really covers all of the uh, the areas today. Uh, Dave has taught 54 professional golfers over the years and is considered by many the top of the pyramid here in Arizona golf. So I want to welcome both of you to Conversations from the 19th Hole, gentlemen. Good to have you with us. Thank you. Let's get started uh, on our topic today, the golf ball rollback controversy addressed by, number one, a leading golf ball manufacturer, and number two, a teaching legend with views on how a rollback may affect not only recreational golfers, but professional golfers, the tour players, and even those people who own the golf courses. And and to get started, Keith, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit about your background uh, and what drives you and Encore Golf to take a stand on this controversial topic? Absolutely. And thanks for having me. First, I, I will offer just a slight correction to your description of our current ball, which is that uh, Encore Golf started its activities in the golf ball market by introducing a hollow metal core golf ball way back in 2012, uh, which was rejected, incidentally, by the USGA as non-conforming even though it met all of the different criteria. We've since evolved from that architecture into what's a much more conventional uh, set of, of golf ball materials, including a, a solid rubber core. But we'll spend a little more time on that later. Um, what brings me to this conversation, I think, with a perhaps unusual perspective is that I'm not a golfer. So rolling back my golf ball isn't going to make any difference whatsoever. I'm a technology person. I'm an engineer. Math and science have always been front and center to the the jobs that I've had, the companies that I've started. Um, I've led a number of organizations that have created, as you inferred, uh, Jim, some fairly disruptive products in a broad range of industrial and uh, commercial applications, everything from commercial nuclear fuel uh, to the telecom communications industry, fuel cells, advanced batteries, biomaterials, and so forth. And I got into the golf ball world because one of the engineers that worked for me had patented this unique hollow metal core golf ball design. But over the years, what we learned is that golf ball performance is directly impacted by the materials uh, and the architecture of the ball itself that the background that I brought to the industry happened to be particularly relevant and has allowed us over the last eight or so years to create golf ball architectures and performance metrics that are really at the, the top of the game. And of course, we're constantly seeking to be the best in distance, in spin characteristics, uh, in feel and overall performance. In order to help golfers score better, enjoy the game more, uh, want to get back out and play again, and of course, purchase our golf balls. So the rollback is certainly uh, front and center to our um, particular company and, and its future. 
we appreciate your taking a uh, a stand, and uh, can't wait to hear more about that. But but let me shift gears for just a minute and go to you, Dave. Dave, maybe you can give us sort of a, a brief summary on what is this all about? What is USGA trying to do and accomplish, and the RNA as well? Well, I I, I think what uh, what they're trying to accomplish is um, uh, and I'll, I'll I'll use the uh, uh, a quote from Justin Thomas, and that is a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. <laughs> I, ca- I can see, you know, that over over the years, golfers have gotten bigger, stronger. Uh, certainly, equipment has come into the uh, to the realm in, in terms of materials that the club heads are made of, uh, shafts that are longer, so you get more leverage. Um, the uh, the golf ball has changed, uh, and, it, and it's really funny. I think Keith would agree with me. If I go back into to my early days in golf, uh, the top flight golf ball, a solid core ball, uh, they used to call them top rocks because they didn't spin as much. They went further than any other, other ball. They probably were, you know, the precursors to the balls we're playing today. Uh, and and based on what the, uh, the RNA is and, and USGA is doing, um, i I, I think again they're looking at what is happening on tour. You look you look at some of the drives that the Rory McIlroy's and the and these guys are hitting. You know, tour average the drives are well uh, over three hundred. Uh, back in my day, uh, two ninety seven would have been leading the pack by a bunch. But again, I I think that they're they're focusing on a performance thing that really isn't a problem. Uh, and I I I think that they'll be They'll, they'll hear a lot of blowback from from the from the recreational golfers, the people that I deal with. Yeah, I, I want to go there in in just a minute and hear about the recreational golfers and and what the impact actually would be to them. But let me come back to you, Keith, with another question, kind of related to this cell phone topic. Are there specific things in this rollback plan uh, that they are trying to do in terms of? How much of a change from when you hit a ball, how far it'll go or how short it'll go or whether it'll spin less or whatever. Can you tell us a little bit technically about that that ambition that they're seeking? I think what's interesting, Jim, is that the the stated purpose of the rollback is to prevent golf courses from having to undergo massive changes in how their holes are laid out and the distances in order to keep them competitive. So if that is in fact the purpose of it and what they're trying to do is limit the uh, the distance that a professional golfer can can drive the ball uh, which is what dictates most of the yardage you know that's that's made in in a golf game then you have to ask yourself okay how is that golf ball rollback going to really affect course design course layout and again that's not our area of expertise but when we look at what they've suggested, the mechanism for creating a shorter distance golf ball, what they've done is they've said, all right, today we test under these certain conditions, launch angles, spin rates, and velocity, swing speed. And they they have very precise equipment that allows them to send a ball off under a certain spin, a certain launch angle, and a velocity, and then they measure the overall distance that that ball travels, and it has to be 
you know, below 317 yards. Now what they're suggesting is we're going to change those test conditions. We're going to swing faster, but that isn't the only thing that they're going to do. They've changed the spin rate of the golf ball, and I believe there's been a slight modification to the launch angle. So what they're doing is they are now measuring the total distance, the overall distance under conditions that, quite honestly, very few of any professional golfers average and amateurs and recreational golfers don't come anywhere close to. Now, what will that mean? What it means for us is that, you know, all of the balls we produce today will likely fly too far when hit under those or when launched under those conditions. It doesn't mean that our golf balls are going to be going more than 317 yards when Dave hits them. Although maybe Dave's got high swing speed. I don't know. It takes, it takes me two hits to get that far. Yeah. But, but the other <laughs> thing is- 10 and three sleeves, but go ahead. The other part of it though, is that I think the thing that's been overlooked a little bit is this change in spin characteristic. Because if you look at, a lot of people go to My Golf Spy and other places to look at some of the robotic data on different manufacturers' golf balls. And, and if you look at what you see in a simulator for your spin rate on a driver shot, it's typically 26, 27, 2800 RPM. It's up there. What does that mean? It means that there's energy being lost for that ball to be spinning that fast. And that energy loss translates to velocity loss, which translates to distance loss. If you're down at 2,200, you have less of that loss, which means, sure, the ball's going to go far. But if you force a ball at those spin rates to be within that overall distance standard, and then you hand that ball to somebody like me that's going to probably clock 3,000 RPMs, it's really going to make a difference. It isn't, I'm a slow swing, but I'm going to see a real drop-off because I'm hitting it with such high spin. So I think there's some unintended consequences here that have just not been thought through. It's one thing to say what happens in a controlled laboratory test environment. It's another thing for amateurs, recreational golfers to go out and actually experience what that means with all of the, the vagaries and the, the different types of shots and different performance on each hole that they have when they tee that ball up. So again, my sense is, and there's no, obviously there's no data to support it yet, but my sense is that this is going to be a lot bigger deal if and when it's ever implemented because of how poorly those golf balls are actually going to perform for your conventional, your regular, your recreational golfer. And they're basically going to say to the USGA and the RNA, we don't care. We're going to play a ball that we can hit and that we like the flight characteristics. We like the distance. We don't have to worry about a snowman on a par five. So to me, there's there's some real challenges here in terms of the, the ramifications that are not easily understood well in advance of this rollback. Yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, go ahead, Dave. Uh, just uh, to add to that, I think that if you, um, if you look at the comments by most of the tour players, they, they would also agree. I mean, that this is, I, I, I think they're focused on the wrong thing. 
the, the, the golf ball is not the thing. It is, for instance, you had uh, uh, Brian Harmon. I, I may even be taller than him. That, 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 that say it's something. But so Brian Harmon just finished fifth, shot 62, 63 the last round at the century. Uh, he is 148 in driving distance. Uh, of course, at, at, uh, where they played in Hawaii, the fairways are about 500 yards wide. It's hard to miss them. But he also won the Open Championship. And, you know, his his approach to the game is to, he plays an old-style game against guys who are bombing it out there. This rollback isn't going to mean anything to him, but he still feels like it's going to have more of an effect on the recreational golfer than it is the tour player. I had heard that the the target was like a 5% degradation uh, in distance. But as you both point out, with the with the uh, the way the ball will be manufactured or is proposed to be manufactured may have a dramatically different impact than five percent across the board from pros on down. And some of the data I'd been looking at said that a an average recreational golfer could be looking at somewhere five to seven to ten yards difference every time they swing the the, the club. Is that what your views are generally, or is it just too early to tell yet? My view is they're underestimating how poorly these balls will perform. And again, it comes back to these other characteristics, spin rate, launch angle, and and swing speed. Their view is, and, and to a certain extent, it's true. The higher the swing speed, the more speed that the ball is is leaving the tee at, the more distance you're going to get. But again, it's more than just that initial ball velocity that determines distance. So if you're not a professional golfer, I mean, it may be linear for for professional golfers at high swing speeds, but once you get down into people who hit less consistently, don't have the same swing speed, and who don't have the same spin characteristics or the same equipment launch angle, it's it's going to be noticeable. And again, that's going to create, I think, some real pushback if this ultimately becomes something that is adopted across the board, which I have serious doubts about myself, but maybe that's the optimist in me. Yeah. yeah. You know, Keith, to, I know Encore did a survey of your customers about their impressions on this rollback. Uh, I actually answered the survey myself because I'm a big believer in your product, but can you can you share with us? Do you have the data yet back on that and what the consensus is, consensus might have been? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, certainly a majority of the people that that we canvassed were against the rollback. I would I would say that surprisingly, a part of our survey was if a rollback was put in place, would you consider playing a non-conforming golf ball? Now. Again, not being from the golf industry historically, I've always heard that, oh, you can't sell a cheater ball. Nobody buys cheater balls, et cetera, et cetera. So I expected the overwhelming reaction to that question to be, no, I, I wouldn't play a non-conforming ball. In fact, the opposite was true. 75% of respondents said that if the rollback went into effect, they would play a non-conforming golf ball. Now, that of course, has implications on things like your handicap and and what would be permitted by, say, local tournaments or, or competitions with respect to allowable equipment. 
would golf balls that had previously been viewed as conforming under the old test setup be considered allowable at a local tournament or something? Who knows? A lot of interesting twists and turns that could evolve just at the local level because people might say, I don't want to be, I'm used to shooting 80. I don't want to be shooting 92 because of this damn rollback. And, and so, there, there's another perspective on that. So I'm the I'm the pro on the other side of the counter and, and somebody's coming up to buy a sleeve of balls from me. As a merchandiser, I can't put, I can't have their conforming balls and then have one little section over here. You know, if you want to go on cheat today, take take right. these. Right. So it'll it'll mean uh, it'll be something that we as merchandisers and and uh, the professionals selling it uh, versus Keith is selling a golf ball, and well, it, it, he wants to get it into the hands of the the golfers. I'm standing across the counter from the golfer, going, "What the heck does this mean to me?" And and are the golf balls that I'm buying here are they legal or are they not legal? Let me come back to a question specifically for you, Keith, and then I want to hear more about the recreational from you, uh, Dave. But but what if this decree, I call it a decree, if this decree is implemented, I think they talked about four years out for pros and six years out for amateurs. But if it is uh, implemented, what what is the impact to the manufacturer of golf balls and how would that waterfall down to the golfer that's out there, you know, buying the, buying their product? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's an interesting question. The, in terms of, you know, people say, well, is it are golf balls going to be more expensive because everybody's going to have to do a lot more R and D? I think that's a false flag, to be honest. the The effort and energy that any golf ball designer and manufacturer would go through to to slow the ball down or to shorten the distance based on these new characteristics. Quite honestly, I think that's predominantly and primarily just a matter of of core chemistry and core size. That's your engine. So. You know, you're putting a, a restrictor on it. And that's something that I think most companies would find fairly straightforward. Now, tweaking it so that you're at the absolute limit and giving as much distance as possible and still being conforming, that's the game that everybody chases right now, right? right. We're there. We get our, our last golf ball. I think, Dave, you've played the, uh, the Vero XP. When we developed that, we only did a, a limited run initially because we were worried that it would exceed some of the either initial velocity or overall distance standard specifications for the rules of golf. As it turned out, it did not. But we did get a warning letter from the USGA saying, hey, you are this close. You know, you can't be any faster or you can't be any further. The same thing, you'd have to go through some iterations of, of ball chemistry, of core chemistry, of ball design to ultimately max out what you could, squeeze out what you could in terms of distance. But that's not going to be five years of R&D or anything like that. I think the bigger issue is much more the question about the commercial implications, right? So in, in 2028, when professionals are forced to play it, someone has to be making golf balls that those professionals are playing does that mean that that even though it's not required to be the ball used by recreational golfers for their handicap or for competitions, but are they going to want to play the ball that 
Justin Thomas or Ricky Fowler or, you know, Xander Shoffley or whatever is playing. Maybe. So are we going to have to come out with, even though I don't have a big, uh, you know, stable of PGA tour players <laughs> that are playing our golf ball, will I have to have the ball two years earlier in order to accommodate the interest in the particular models that are conforming for professionals at that time? That's number one. Two years later, when all of a sudden the only way to have a conforming golf ball is to have rolled its performance back, there's going to be a transition. I mean, you don't just stop selling one ball and start selling the other and say, yeah, I'm going to write off all of that inventory. And Dave would be in the same position. He's got you know stuff on his shelves that on December 31st is conforming and on January 1st, it's not. Who's addressing that? That write-off, if there is a write-off, or the discounting, if that's what it takes to move that product into consumers' hands, definitely has a financial impact. I don't care whether you're Titleist or Kushnet or whether you're on Corgol. You're at the, the, the same implications of, hey, I've got some challenges here are going to, going to occur, so... With all of that being said, is it fair to presume that pricing of golf balls, if this decree is implemented, will go up because of the complexity and the added work to to basically retro, not retrofit, but, but take a retro approach to moving it back? Is that likely or would golf balls kind of be where they are unless market forces change? Yeah, and just from my perspective, I would say that yeah, it's going to be a one. It's a good chance for golf ball manufacturers to bump their prices. They're going to get passed along to the consumer. But and I really found it interesting as Keith was describing. It, it it may not be as much of a pain to go through that process for the manufacturer because you're really tweaking things. You you. You're reverse tweaking. <laughs> you yeah, you're bringing back yeah. your molds from 30 years ago, right? Yeah. Okay, fascinating. Yeah. Well, Dave, I, I have an, another question for you. Thank you for jumping in on that. You, you know, you have just an extraordinary history of teaching, coaching, leading literally thousands of recreational golfers in addition to, to pro golfers. And there must be, if this decree is put in place, there must be a, a change that golfers need to think about. How will it affect their game, recreational golfers, and how would they continue to be as competitive as they'd like to be? Is there a strategic shift in, in terms of how you warm up and what you do and, and the, the nature of the game that you see coming? And it, so if this does happen, I think that there, there, are, there are a couple of things. that I think materially, there's not going to be, for the vast majority recreational golfers, there's not going to be a real noticeable difference materially. Psychologically, I think, I think there will be uh, because their sense is that they're playing a product now that has been, uh, it, it, as, as Keith put it, you're, uh, you're just, you're, you're, you're putting a, a governor on, on, the, on the golf ball. Right. So from a teacher and coach standpoint, it, it certainly is going to make it more important for people to hit the ball in the middle of the club face. Uh, there's a, there, when you, you look at all the launch monitor data that, that comes out, there's, a, there's a, a measure that's called smash factor. 
And that smash factor is, you know, how efficiently you're using the the speed, the direction, the centeredness of hit uh, to impart that onto a shot. The ball uh, going uh, spinning more and going launching lower uh, will have an effect. So hitting it in the center of that phase, maximizing uh, smash factor is going to be a key. I, I think that is going to be something that that players will start to have to really start paying attention to. So so the clubs, let me dig into that a little bit more. The clubs that have been evolving over the years, on the driver particularly, because that's where I guess you'd see the biggest impact, are bigger. They have more of a spring effect. They send the ball farther. Amateur golfers, as well as the pros, have been so focused for so long on distance, 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 that now when you're talking about pulling it back, uh, that's going to kind of change the nature of the game for amateur golfers, it seems to me. Yeah. I, I'm I'm interested in your comment that it that it would have a psychological effect, but maybe not a. Uh, I'm probably misinterpreting, but an actual effect. But I'm thinking as an amateur golfer, if I am losing five, ten yards every time I pick out a club because of the ball, that's going to change my handicap. Mm-hmm. It's going to change, uh, which would not be good news to me. I will tell you that. Uh, it's also going to change how I would potentially play each hole. Mm-hmm. But I can't quite figure out how would I play it differently. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what remains to be seen, uh, Jim. I think, and, and if you look at the data that that the USGA are, are, are basing this on, it would have no effect from about a five iron on down through your wedges. you You'd have zero loss of distance. You'd notice nothing. This is really more about off the tee. It's that initial shot off of the tee. I didn't, I didn't know were, that. That's you were, fascinating. Got it. Yeah. As you were describing the 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 you know the the recreational golfer, the the guy that just plays uh, for fun. I I in all of my years of coaching, and I've given a lot of lessons. I've never ever had somebody come up onto the tee and say. David, you need to help me hit this ball shorter. I am just, I am too long. I need to rein it in. <laughs> you haven't heard that from me, that's for sure. So for that golfer, that recreational golfer that goes out and he's got a ball and off the tee is going to go less distance, golf courses have been designed for such a long period of time to have, you know, the average golfer is going to hit it so far and now they put sand traps to make it more challenging. Sure. And, and they, so far, they some who really are bombers are able to go over the sand traps, get the safer ground, and then pitching wedge into the into the green. So for the guy who is a, a 15 uh, handicap or so, is he strategically going to have to think differently about the hole and the play? Will he need to enhance his accuracy, let's say, or his dispersion in order to score better? If this decree is put in place, I, I certainly think that that's going to come into it. Uh, and, and and you know, looking at facilities, if you look at the the facility behind me, our golf course is what would be deemed a classic old style course. Not long by any stretch of imagination. It's um, we are under seven thousand yards at a par seventy one. We are. Close enough to Scottsdale where we get a lot of the pros coming up here to play. Our course record is still 61. And that was a, from a local person. Local who guy. Played it a lot. 
the the pros that come up and play, what they find out is the golf course can dictate the distance or the chance you want to take off of the tee, right? And and our golf course is a is a shot maker's course. It did. It, it is narrow. There's not a lot of room, which is where I think, and I don't know if, how Keith would feel about this, but I think they should have started there. I think the idea that we're golf courses are becoming obsolete because of, of 15 to 20 tour players who vomit out there uh, is ridiculous. Uh, I, I think they can, you know, they can tighten fairways. They can firm up greens. They can, uh, they can do things to the golf course, which would have done the same thing, uh, you know, accomplished the same thing, challenged yeah. those people with those high club head speeds. Yeah. Fascinating. Let me, let me, let me just add Please. to that. Both of you actually made a great taste for why Encore ought to be in favor of the rollback, even though we aren't, <laughs> which means that it, it is going to heighten the importance of staying in the fairway off your drives. And you know, our technology from the hollow metal core days forward has been all about this concept, this high moment of inertia, what we call perimeter weighted golf balls who who deliver, which deliver a much tighter shot dispersion off the tee. So if you can't bomb it as far, you definitely want to have the accuracy such that you place the, the ball, you know, in the fairway where you want it and not somewhere off to the side or what have you. So the, the combination of, of accuracy and feel that we deliver with our golf balls and right now, obviously the, the distance, if you take the distance factor out, you're left with the need for accurate tight shot dispersion products. And that's where we have carved a, I think a very interesting niche resistance to, to wind. I think Dave, you've experienced that, you know, these, yep. we, we hear from people all the time, I can't believe it's like, you know, it's on a frozen rope, even in high winds. When we did ball testing out at uh, Oak Tree National in Oklahoma with, with really high winds, guys were just shaking their head because they'd hit a competitor's golf ball and they'd, they'd see it, you know, just kind of wiggle around in the wind. They did ours and, man, it was, it was just straight. That, that's really cool to hear. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw Dave a softball on this one. Dave, golf ball, now clearly Keith has made a case that his particular product is really going to be even more potentially in demand because of its mm -hmm. unique characteristics, because of the perimeter yep. rating. Are there are there other tools? Here's your softball question. Are there <laughs> other tools in the marketplace that would help the recreational amateur golfer really enhance their dispersion or 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 get better at accuracy? Let's say yeah. hit more closely to where they're aiming. Are there any out there that you'd want to tell us about? Well, Thank yeah. You for yeah, you know the the club that we have at Pier One, our uh, our Hit Fit Club and our series of practice clubs, very very small hits, very concentrated hitting areas, and that what I was saying earlier, it's going to become more important, um, even with a good a good golf ball uh, like uh, like like the Encore ball, it's going to become even more important that you hit the ball in the middle of the club face. Uh, because that is what transfers the most energy, uh, most efficiently, and creates the straightest flight. And so, yes, I think uh, uh, our 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 position in the in the game improvement area uh, by using a club that is much smaller helps one to to focus 
uh, your uh, uh, your attention to a very a smaller hitting area, uh, and then to adapt your technique to catching that 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 club solidly. That's going to be the the thing that'll help produce the least amount of um, from this rollback. Yeah. So I know the the, the hit tape club you're talking about, the pure one, is a small head, but you don't play that in the on the round, do you? That's a warm up club, right? I sometimes if I if I wanted to double the bet on a hole, I'll tell, I'll say I, I tell you what, I'll hit I'll hit this club. Really? Person, sure. Yeah, well, I, I love yeah. that. That's awesome. And yeah. after you're using an encore ball, you can't miss, and you take the catch. I like <laughs> really. that. I like that very much. One more quick question. I know we're running out of time here, but is this rollback decree cast in stone? And if not, what might the next few years look like? And how would amateurs or anybody that loves the game as we do take a stand that that has some ears to it, so that these USGA and RNA hear a little bit about the public's uh, response. Any yeah. thoughts on that, either of you guys? Please. Well, me. and that, I'd uh, I'd ask Keith this if um, I know we'll both be in Orlando for the uh, uh, the big uh, PGE Expo uh, a little later this month. Keith, do you think that this will be a a, a topic at the uh, at the show uh, in terms of we know that the PGA of America is not behind this and we know that the pga tour is also uh has a lot of dissenters about what this is going to be uh or you know how this is going to affect them but keith what do you what do you think about because this is this is the show where all of the all of the industry people are there yeah. buying and everything getting ready to to go into this first of all i'm i'm sure it will be one of the most talked about topics, not only at the show, but at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, there will be a lot of grousing about this potentially game-changing rule. And look, it, if you walk around the PGA show, Dave, as, as you and I have for, for years and years and years now, everything that is exciting there is about making the game more enjoyable, about making the game more accessible, about making the game more fun um, or improving scores. And yeah. all of a sudden, you've got this gigantic wet blanket descending on the sport. What other sport takes the kind of action that this you know, seems to imply it's going to have on all of its customers, You know, all of its participants? It, to me, it, as you said earlier on, this really is nonsensical. It's just, it's one of these things that, it's not solving a problem. It's it's creating a problem. If there are too many golf courses that are considered having to change their their designs, that's one thing. But I think we're talking about a very limited set of courses where professionals compete and are able to to really stress the the length of holes. I you know I don't know whether it's measured in the dozens or more or less, but it, it just, it certainly is not 18,000. And, yeah. and so again, they're, you know, they're trying to prevent this issue that only implicates to me a very, very small subset of the entire industry, which just does not bode well for, uh, for the game, I don't think. And it will be interesting to, to see how the PGA of America and the PGA Tour react to this. They certainly 
reacted to the original proposal of bifurcation. Bifurcation. And and look, they make their rules for their tournaments. If they say, as long as the golf ball was conforming under the old test uh, regime, we're fine with it, then the USGA and the RNA are going to have a hard time finding guys that want to play a different ball in a limited number of events because they'd have to practice and and learn to compete right. with different products, which, again, makes no sense. I've got to tell you, I am so disappointed to report that we are out of time. We There's just so much more to unpack here. I think we could carry on for another hour and have a lot of fun and get into some of these topics. But uh, we, we have gone uh, really to the length of the podcast. And and yet I'm going to do a little fun thing here. And, and as you may remember from Ron Popeil, if you remember that guy with the yeah. Popeil's pocket fisherman, I will say, but wait, there's more. One of our, our sponsor, uh, Pure One Golf, and, and Dave talked a little bit about the hit pit clubs that they sell, which really help your dispersion and distance. Pure One is offering a $20 off coupon for the listeners who've made it this far. And uh, if you'd like to take advantage of that, just go to pureonegolf.com and put in the coupon code of 19fold to uh, remind, remind yourself of this conversation of conversations from the 19th hole in this series that we're happy to provide you. Again, the coupon code is 19th hole, and you can buy your products from pureonegolf.com. Uh, gentlemen, it has been just so much fun. I want to thank you profusely. I've learned a whole lot, and uh, I've got to get a no new lesson to go get my dispersion rate in a more uh, in a more satisfactory area, as well as better. But I want you both to know I'm big, big fans of you both and your products, and I just want to say thank you. If any of our listeners today uh, are particularly intrigued by the topic and would like to reach out to Keith at Encore Golf or Dave at Seven Ganyons or even me at C-Suite Advisors, please don't hesitate to reach out via email. The easiest way to get to the three of us is to reach us at this email address, jcasino at csuite.co, and I'll spell it. It's J-C-A-S, as in Sam, C-I-N-O, at C-Suite, S-U-I-T-E, dot co. Thank you today for being with us. And that's C-Suite Advisors, where CEOs tap into unbiased, deeply experienced wisdom, perspective, and credibility to accelerate their own company's performance and growth. To discuss how C-Suite Advisors may help your business in a free 30-minute consultation, Contact us at advisor at csuite.co. Again, advisor at c-suite.co. Or call for an appointment at 925-989-1975. Thank you for listening to Into the C-Suite with Jim Casino. Click the following button below to be notified as new episodes become available. 